Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, all our actions by thy holy inspirations and carry them on by thy gracious assistance. So that every prayer and work of ours may begin from thee and by thee, be happy through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady of Divine Grace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I do want to talk about a few things before we actually talk about how you avoid getting brainwashed uh, or avoid that process that they put you through. Um, the one thing, though, there's a few things to keep in mind is that anything that uh, drags your judgment to excess or defect, like the emotions which we talked about, or uh, there can be a variety of other things, but if it, anything that drags your judgment to excess or defect can cause falsity in your judgment. And so this is one of the um, reasons why precision is uh, so important. Um, uh, if all of the factors that can affect judgment of truth, because if you look at, so as I mentioned, the emotions can affect it, the cogitative power if it makes the wrong associations can affect it, etc., the wrong memories, um, all of that can affect the judgment. Given that... Um, and they can, they can affect it in subtle ways, where you, as I mentioned before, where you think that, say, for example, in an argument that a particular pro, um, premise in the proposition is actually stronger or greater than it actually is, you'll tend to think that the conclusion is more certain than it actually is. And so you see this a lot of times with people in their own opinions because of their emotional attachments to their particular opinion. Then what happens is they tend to think that their, uh, their view of the, or that, that the conclusion that they've arrived at is more certain than it actually is. And this is something that's, uh, that can be uh, somewhat dangerous. But this also gives you an indication of the fact that because there's these various factors that go into judging the truth, and it's very easy for us as human beings because um, uh, the defect of original sin um, of, or the wound from original sin of ignorance, it's very easy for us to end up in error. And so uh, this is why it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. In other words, IQ does not guarantee or necessarily translate into knowledge of the truth. You see this even with Einstein and some of the stuff that he was saying and um, did, especially in relationship even to the space-time question. There were certain things that he ended up adopting from Kant. And so as a result of that, his, what he thinks the space-time thing is in reality is really... Um, has some issues about it. It can present some legitimate arguments contrary to it. But the IQ does not translate into knowing necessarily, not necessarily, does not translate into knowledge of the truth. It does give one the ability to reach greater precision and accuracy, provided that the proper intellectual habits are in place. Um, also, to keep in mind that uh, since the things that are created uh, and God is omnipotent, so however he thinks the thing is, that's the way it is. Because of this, it's impossible to argue with God, ultimately, at the, at the final judgment, because what he thinks is the case is the case. So what he thinks you are is exactly what you are. And so whenever there's a re revelation to the individual, he knows it's absolutely true. Okay. Um, uh, things that affect the knowledge of the truth, we mentioned that... Uh, the um, emotions, we've also seen that it's bad intellectual or moral formation. St. Thomas says that one of the things that clouds the inclinations of the natural law is bad moral formation. And you see this even with children in relationship to the um, transgender question. It's the, they're finding out, they're doing studies, that they're finding out that 90% of the time it's the parents pushing the kid or doing the formation of the kid in that direction. Um, Trauma, 
which is in the emotions uh, and combined with different kinds of formation can affect the judgment of the truth. So if the, we talked a little bit about this, if a person has been traumatized, that stays in memory, the cogitative power makes those associations based on that. So when the image is prepared <clears throat> by the cogitative power, it gets affected in the person's ability to judge the truth of the situation. They tend to think that people are being meaner than they are or they're out to get them, etc. Um, just lack of pursuit of the truth is something else that we're seeing. People just don't really care to even know what truth is. Um, how do I know? Because I already have a conference called What is Truth and nobody's paying any attention to it. Okay. Not that they should listen to me, but I'm just saying. Okay. Um, <clears throat> another thing is that can also affect our knowledge of the truth is unavailability of information. <clears throat> this is why I said that in the brainwashing process, part of the thing is you don't allow any contrary information, period. Because if you do that, it can confirm people in their thinking habits and so, and their, or in the cogitative power. And so you have to make sure there's no contrary information whatsoever. So this is why in, um, not just in communist countries, but in any kind of dictatorial country, uh, they have perfect and complete control over the news media, all the, you know, any form of information coming in and out, the internet, etc. And the reason they have to do that is because if people start to think for themselves, um, and this is the whole thing, tyranny, communism, all these things don't persuade people ultimately in the end, intellectually. And so you have to, you have to keep their information away from them so they don't get persuaded otherwise. Okay. Um, and that, we, we mentioned, you know, I was talking about how, for example, in this country, we kept hearing, um, we kept hearing things, like, the, for example, they're still doing it with the COVID thing. It's just constant on the mainstream news media where they're just constantly talking about it and talking about, oh, now we've got this variant and it could be bad and blah, 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 blah. And there's just constant stuff. And this is an indicator that, um, uh, that generally speaking, so one of the first things, so when you're talking about Okay, what can I do to keep myself from getting brainwashed? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to have custody of the senses. <clears throat> because what you have in relationship to what comes into the imagination is going to come through the senses. So when it comes to the news media, it has to be uh, greatly moderated. And by moderation, I mean that in two senses. One is what you watch or what you look at should um, be um, within... which be within the confines of what you know to actually be the truth. Um, the second thing is, um, or at least aid news agencies that are reputable, even those you have to do a certain amount of wading through. Um, part of the difficulty is, and this is something which people need to understand, is that when people go to study journalism, we've got this idea that we have this idea, the public operates on this idea, even Trump operated on this idea, that the, new, the primary function of the news media was to report the facts of what was going on so that people could look at it and then judge it for themselves. That's not at all how the news media views themselves. They don't view themselves that way at all. They do not see their job in just reporting facts. They'll tell you as much. When the first class that they go to in most colleges, they're told, your job is not to report the facts. Your job is to create a story. And there's two reasons they say that. One is to create the story in order so that people would be interested in reading it. I get that. You know, I understand that. On the other hand, sometimes just the way you present the facts themselves can be sufficiently, um, sufficient enough so you don't have to create a story. The second part about it is, is that this is why it is fake news in a certain sense, but it's not just fake, it's false. 
I think that the, the, the more accurate terminology would be that it's false news because they're telling you stuff that's just simply false, right? And so they, uh, and they, as a result of that, because they see their function is to create a story, then the truth takes a secondary role. In fact, the truth doesn't, and, and especially when it becomes a matter of agenda, the truth has no bearing on it whatsoever, unless the truth happens to help you to create your story. But other than that, you just don't even pay attention to it. And so part of this creates a situation where their ability to be accurate is practically nil. Mm -hmm. um, when you read stuff um, in the mainstream news media, even what you read, you have to recognize, okay, probably, even if it's an, a reputable source, okay, probably 80% of the story is accurate, probably. The other 20%, I don't know. In fact, I don't even know which 20% that is half the time. So, for example, if they have a shooting at some place, all you can probably know is that, okay, they have a shooter. Is it a teenager? We don't know that. We hopeful. They said it's a teenager. They said it's this guy. Do we know that? Well, we don't know that for certain. Why? Because it's just them reporting. And this brings up a very important point. One of the ways you're going to keep yourself from being brainwashed is keeping a perspective. If a group of people that's feeding you the information habitually lies to you or is not capable of telling you things accurately on a habitual basis, why would you pay any attention to anything they say whatsoever? In fact, integrity, human beings have a natural inclination to recognize that if someone's integrity gets compromised, at least in the area of the, that the, area that the, the integrity has been compromised, the person is not to be trusted because of the fact that they've shown that they're not trustworthy in that area. The fact that the news media has habitually lied to us, and then when they do get caught in it, or that they do finally recognize that what they've told you is true, they never correct themselves. Or if they do, it's on page 25 instead of, you know, the page, the first page saying, hey, you know, we got this wrong, just make sure everybody... And as a result, and it's all under this attitude that, well, our... our our uh, people will not judge us if, if we correct ourselves and it'll make us look bad. No, it actually makes you look good. Not correcting yourself makes you look bad because then people realize you can't trust these people. And so generally speaking, in relationship with the mainstream news media, you can't even trust 99% of what they say. Or you, I should say, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. You can't have certitude about what 99% of what they say. That's the problem. And so... And how do I know this? Because I've seen this stuff myself. I've been places, and then you see the report, and the report has no bearing whatsoever on what actually happened. Or uh, one time, actually, I was interviewed, and I was on the front page of the Lincoln newspaper. I handed them a written statement. They couldn't even get that right. right? And these aren't people that are necessarily malicious that I could see. But it just tells you there's, there's, a, there's an inability to do that. And so I think we have to just recognize that most media is fiction. This is when they say that your job is not to convey the facts, but it's to create the story. Well, then basically they're fiction writers, right? And then the fiction writers, what, whether it has an agenda or not, is not clear, depending on the Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But this is an important thing to keep in mind that the source that you're listening to, even the best of them, doesn't always get everything right. And so you have to investigate this stuff for yourself. 
That's the second component. So, okay. So the first thing is you have to have custody of the senses. Uh, you have to be disimpassioned in relationship to the emotion. When you see this stuff happen, you just have to, you have to be disimpassioned at it so that you can actually take an objective look to it. And this disimpassion can be, uh, especially for the conservatives or the people who want to pursue the truth or for other people, it means even a detachment even from your country. It doesn't mean you don't fight for it. It doesn't mean you don't seek the common good and do everything you possibly can for it. It simply means that if you have an attachment to your country, when it's attached, you're not going to think clearly. Your emotions are going to arise. You're going to make judgments. You're likely to go to excess, etc. Okay, and so this is the thing that um, you have to <clears throat> um, keep, always keep in mind. So you have to keep the emotions at bay. You have to continue to work on virtue. So this brings up the other question, so, uh, another issue. The way you're going to get clarity in relationship to the truth is by virtue in which your appetites don't move. They only have subsequent emotion. If they're a consequent emotion. If you reach that stage, then your head is going to be a lot clearer and you're, uh, you're, able going, you're going to be able to judge what is said to you with a certain amount of uh, with clarity. Because remember, in the brainwashing technique, what they do is they provide you the constant information, but at the same time, they're trying to stimulate your emotional response to that thing because they're trying to get your emotions to cause your judgment to go to excess. Okay, so what you have to do is you got to get the emotions under control through virtue. And part of that's going to be, for, in most people's cases, they got to disengage from the media for a while to get the emotions calmed down, get a clear head, start working on the virtues in the areas that they need it. And then when they start to, then when they go to the news media, they can actually take a look at it more uh, objectively. Another component is, <clears throat> um, I mentioned this a little bit in an in a, um, interview that I had recently. I said, you have to realize that we're living in a, an abusive relationship right now. The people in charge of our various countries are basically like domestic abusers, where they're lying to us, gaslighting us, telling us bad things about ourselves, which may or may not be true, but they're telling us these things, and they're, they're trying to get us to feel bad so that they can manipulate and control us. Right? Okay. So what that essentially means is that you have to, uh, that the, the solution to people who are domestic abusers is you never address the topic of abuse. You know, so if a, guy, if a husband comes in and tells the wife you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that, you don't say, you don't say, I'm not fat, because the minute you do that, you've legitimized the topic of discussion of your weight. Okay, so you don't do that, you just simply go to the person and say, if you have a problem with my weight, that's your problem, not mine, right? So you, you have to shift it to where the real problem is. Where's the real problem? In the abuser's abuse. That's where the real problem is, okay? The same thing actually applies in relationship to how they tell us these particular, or, uh, the news media, the government, a number of different agencies, not everybody in the government, of course, but uh, most, it seems these days, um, the deep state, etc. They're going to be saying things and doing these things, and they're trying, we call it the narrative, but what they're doing is they're, con they're controlling the topics of discussion all the time by what they put in the media, by what they talk about, etc. And so the, the danger becomes you're getting sucked into focusing on those particular topics of discussion. Now, at times they do have to be addressed, but normally speaking, we just have to stop looking at those things. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, you know when they sit there and they say, you know, the United States is racist, all white people are racist, la da da da. You just have to look, I, I'm, we're not even going to talk about the race issue. Which, by the way, a number of black people have said, stop talking about it and it'll get better. But you just stop, to, don't talk about that and just talk about, you know, 
Have you always had a problem of accusing people of things that you're guilty? In other words, you have to keep your focus on where is the real problem? The real problem isn't in what in the thing that they're proposing. That's not where the real problem is. So whenever they're telling you things or doing doing these things, they're trying to draw your focus to those things, and you've got to be able to stand back and say and look at it more objectively and say, where's the real issue here? Well, the real issue is, is that we have people who aren't following the Constitution. They're basically doing whatever they please. They're not following the rule of law. Um, they're gaslighting people, etc. So that's what the real approach has to be. Because as long as we enter into the discussion about the topics that they're proposing for the narrative, we will never win. We're, we're ceding control of that to them on the topic issue, and we have to stop that. Okay. So one of the principal ways that you're going to do that then on a concrete level is that means there has to not just be custody of the senses, there has to be custody of the, of the mind, the imagination. You've got to keep your mind off of the stuff that they keep doing this at least for a while to get, to get some semblance of clarity on relationship to these things. There's another reason for this too is, is because remember when I told you that they're trying to strip the cogitative power of its habits by constantly giving you stuff? Then what you have to do is the um, you have to confirm the cogitative power in its right ordered judge or its right ordered um, assessment or association at least from time to time. So one of the principal ways that you're going to do that is when Pete when you hear this stuff, you know, for example, when they say all white people are racist, you just say, look, not all white people are racist. You just have to think that to yourself from time to time, just to make sure that the cogitative power knows a that that's not true, but b that. It's this part you're setting up with this individual, this source of information, the recognition that it can't be fully trusted, right? Okay, so there's that that's actually occurring. But then the other part of it is too is, and this is something that's really key, we do not live in a time where people can be mediocre in their knowledge of the things that they're going to be investigating. You can't sit there and just get a smattering of news from time to time and think you're okay. Because in the end, what's going to happen is over the course of time, if you don't investigate the truth for yourself, you either need to prescind from that stuff pretty much altogether, or you need to, if you're going to look at it from time to time, investigate things enough to know exactly um, what the actual story is in relationship to the narrative. So it's study that really constitutes how, they're go how you're going to um, uh, keep from getting brainwashed. So in relationship to the news media, it's curiosity. It's the vice of curiosity, wanting to know this, that, 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 and the other thing. I mean, the Rittenhouse uh, um, uh, trial was a little on the silly side, frankly, from the, at least from the point of view of the fact that people were literally watching blow by blow on it. And you're just like, really? You know, what we should have been doing is, is just praying so that we had a proper outcome. And then when it came out, just take a look at it. But then if, if we're going to pay attention to it, curiosity just wants to get the little bits and pieces of information, whereas studiosity actually studies the science behind it, the study of the things that are actually going. So if you're going to deal with this stuff, in other words, part of the intellectual formation, the cogitative power, but also, as we talked about in relationship to the judgment, it has to be formal study. You actually have to study this stuff. Otherwise you're going to be easily sucked into their discussion of the narrative if you're just getting bits and pieces of it or if you're just looking at it for the entertainment value or what have you. It ha you have to do formal study in relationship to these things. Okay. So building a virtue, custody of the senses, custody of the mind, um, building of the, uh, the sciences, so this is what you have to do. So if you go back, the second thing is you have to practice 
um, uh, what they used to call um, mental hygiene. And that was in the 50s. It was kind of a term that they did in the, high, in, in the 50s. And basically what that meant was that if you had, uh, not just patterns of thinking, but if you had memories that were false or that needed to be addressed, that you actually went in there and took a look at those memories, made sure those memories were accurate, etc. And this is even true of um, what we've studied in the past. We have to take a look at those things and be objective about it. So um, you've heard me say, um, at least indirectly, if you read the history of the United States, you know, they paint certain people as just these quasi-gods who are perfect in our founding. And, uh, you know, for example, some of the um, founding fathers, and they don't talk about some of the underhanded stuff that they were doing, too. doesn't mean that we reject them, that we reject uh, the totality of what they did, although there are some issues with the founding, um, uh, especially in the Constitution. There's some non-Catholic aspects of it. But if you just, but if you look at it um, uh, more objectively, then you can actually take a more objective look to this. So it basically means that even you're going to have, even in your studies, you have to be willing to follow the truth regardless of the cost. You have to be willing to suffer, and then once you pursue that in the knowledge, you have to, you're going to have to correct your understanding or your knowledge of these things. This is slowly starting to happen. People are slowly starting to realize because. Historically, everybody thought, oh, the Republicans are fighting against the Democrats. But now everyone's starting to realize, well, no, they're just both on the same team, right? They're both just two sides of the same coin. And because it doesn't matter, it doesn't seem to matter which Republican you elect, the same things happen over and over and over and over again. And we're not getting anywhere. And the Republicans, and part of the thing is we see this even with Republicans when they, um, you know, when the Democrats are pushing all this stuff, they sit on their hands and go, oh, isn't this terrible, isn't this terrible, and do absolutely nothing to create, just clean up the problem. So the point being is there has to be an objective look. Um, there is kind of a um, preferential bias that people can have where you prefer something, and so you tend to think, well, because I prefer this or because I like this, therefore this particular news agency is actually accurate or true. And again, it doesn't matter. You have to be really objective in relationship to that stuff. But the ultimate goal is to what is the reality. So, and that brings up the other part of it. So the media is precisely that. It's a medium between you and reality. And if you're going to know the truth, you've got to get to the reality and put the media aside. For a while, at least. doesn't mean from time to time you don't look at it, etc. But if you're really going to know reality, you're going to have to put it aside and study reality itself. And take a look at it. This is one of the reasons. And how do we know this is actually true? They'll, say, they'll make these sweeping statements in the government about X, Y, and Z that's going on in the country. And then I'll travel someplace and I'll look around and like, this is completely false. So, for example, they'll sit there. I, this, I actually saw this before I went to Rome in September, and they said that it's shut down, there's practically no tourism, there's nothing going on there, they're still on lockdown, some of them were even saying, which is basically past information, they'll say, th they'll say stuff like that, um, they'll say that in order to get into Italy, you have to have these 45 different forms to prove X, Y, and Z, etc., and then when I went to Rome, I found out that 95% of that was completely fake news. The only thing you had to do is have a negative COVID test to get on the airplane. You get over there, you had to fill out the form for them so that they would know that you didn't have, that you didn't think you had COVID. They stamped my passport and you just walk right in. 
You know, there's, and when I was there, the only people that required a vaccine passport or wanted a passport, or actually the, 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 um, to have a, a green app so that you can show that you have a negative COVID test, you can use that as well, were the hotel, high-end hotels and high-end restaurants. Everyone else didn't care. And the streets were absolutely packed with tourists, packed with tourists. So uh, many of them from the United States. So it was completely false news. The point being is, is that it, you have to actually get on the ground and actually take a look or talk to people who have been on the ground and are, who are trustworthy in their ability to report these things. The point being is you have to look at reality, you have to put the media aside and stop using it as the thing that's getting between you and reality. And so this is the, this is the one of the real issues. So that means there has to be media fasting, there has to be a, a certain moderated use of it, um, etc. Um, you'll also notice this just even generally, even how they report on people and things, you find out that it's just, you know, completely inaccurate when you actually get to it. And a lot of it is, again, because they're trying to paint a specific picture um, because they want, they're trying to manipulate people. The other thing is to recognize that you are one of, the, one of the people in a control group. One of the things we also have to recognize is the fact that we are all members of a control group in a gargantuan experiment in social engineering. This is what this is all about. It's all about a social, they're trying to restructure society through social engineering. Now let me be clear. Social engineering is not necessarily bad in and of itself. You can socially engineer the culture so that it maximizes people's disposition to develop virtue. It can actually be a good thing by promoting certain things, etc. But that's not the issue here, obviously. So social engineering in and of itself isn't bad, but it's being used as a weapon to basically control and manipulate people. And so we have to recognize that we're part of that. So, So back up. So if they're trying to strip you of your mental habits, you have to reinforce your habits. That means doing the study making the proper judgments, um, you know, keeping your head cleared, not getting sucked into the discussions, etc. The opposite side of it is recognizing that what they're telling you is by and large either false or unreliable. And so there has to be a, a, a consist that has to something that has to be consistently done because um, as I mentioned in the and part of brainwashing, they, when, if they keep making these associations and you keep hearing it and you don't correct the cogitative power in any way by looking at it differently, eventually it's going to start making that association. It, and you may not even recognize that you're actually making it in certain things. You actually see this, you actually see this in the church especially, where the neoconservatives have drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. They've accepted certain things about you know, the past and Vatican II, etc. Um, and as a result of that, and they don't have precision in their knowledge about what binds and what doesn't bind in the form of conscience regarding what we believe. And so a lot of times what they do is, is they, they end up believing certain things that are actually, even though their desire is to be orthodox, they end up believing things that's actually contrary to the faith without even realizing it because of this constant thing that they've heard their whole lives, etc. Um, I'm thinking especially in terms of um, you know, for example, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the attitude that, um, uh, that when it comes to, to non-Catholics, that their, their ability to get saved is just as good as ours. Well, no. Uh, uh, Pius IX um, condemned the proposition that you can have the reasonable hope in the salvation of non-Catholics. 
So yeah, and so there's a um, and people just say, oh well, God wishes the the salvation of all people. That's true. The, 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 it's always been a teaching of the church that God gives everybody sufficient grace to be saved. But it's actually unreasonable to expect that someone who's cut off from the bark of salvation, at least on the material level, is you know just going to skate right into heaven with the rest of us. Not that we are going to either. But the point being is, is that there's this attitude that, you know, we don't have to worry so much about the Protestants being saved, etc. And that's actually not true. The reason you get them into the church is precisely because it's the only, it's the only bark of salvation. Okay. So there's this brainwashing has actually uh, occurred in very subtle ways. Okay, so that brings up another issue then. So how do you overcome brainwashing in relationship to that? We well, have to be able to stand back and take an objective look at what's the criteria for the truth? Well, the criteria for the truth is reality. Okay, not what people tell you; it's the reality of it. So um, sometimes what the people tell you is the reality of it, but sometimes it's not. Or it can put you in the direction of the reality, but sometimes it doesn't. It puts you in the other direction. So it's reality that has to be the case. Well, what's in reality is is is, and this is the key thing: revelation, God revealed insensible reality. And then the magisterium throughout the course of time is something that you can actually study in reality. You can get the documents. You can just read the documents, read them yourself to actually study what exactly is the thing, is what the church has always taught. Second, do not, you must avoid this because this is something that we're seeing in the church and you even see it in people in the culture. Do not go to interpret what you see in reality from the point of view of what you've been told. You have to look at the reality and a, just a, strip it down and just say, what are they saying here? And it's the same thing in relationship to the church. You see this in relationship to certain things, um, in relate, especially in the area of ecclesiology, right? And so you have to look at it, the object. What has the church, objectively speaking, in reality, through its whole tradition, taught us about X? I'm going to look at what has it always taught us, and then I can assess what I've been told. And that's going to be a key issue that going forward that people are going to have to do. The same thing actually applies even in relationship to um, living in society and living in the, in the government. That is, we have to basically get to reality, find out what the reality is. And if I don't know the reality, then one of the ways I keep from getting brainwashed is, or not, and not falling into error myself by my own judgments, is recognize, and this is where the precision comes in, I only have a certain degree of certitude in relationship to this information. That's all I can know. It may or may not be the case. It seems like it's the case. It's likely to be the case, but I don't have certitude because I wasn't there. I didn't see it, etc. Um, or I don't see it necessarily. And so this is something to keep in mind to keep yourself in check because of people's emotions and because we're starting to get brutalized. People's emotions are really starting to affect their judgment. Okay, so maintain your prior intellectual formation, especially as a Catholic. Um, and this is going to come by reading and studying. Maintain your intellectual habits. You're going to have to study a little bit more or we, we firm them up. You're going to have to cut yourself off from the constant barrage. You're going to have to seek contrary information. This is why alternative news sources are actually helpful. They're not absolute. You can't be, they, not even they can be trusted 100%. Part of it is, too, is if you have a measured judgment and you're, not, and you're trying to keep your emotions at bay, you'll be able to detect uh, things that are false or a little ridiculous pretty quickly. So, for example, um, when Q came out, 
I watched it. I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting. I didn't, I didn't know quite what to make of it because I didn't know the source. But after about three weeks, but by the by, a, by a month later, after just kind of watching what what was being said, I'm like, this is bogus. This stuff never comes true. So whoever the source is, they're either trolling us or it's controlled opposition or it's this or it's that. But it's definitely not a reliable source of information, right? So. That was, that's one of the things that you can kind of, you can also make sure that you're not buying into things because that's what you want to hear. Because that's another thing that people can do. But it's all about being as objective as possible, getting down to the reality of it. Okay. So getting the contrary information. So in relationship to them feeding you the negation, you have to get that out of your, uh, you got to stop looking at the media. As far as the, the positive associations that they're trying to feed you, you got to stop. You got to stop the media, and you got to start looking at the contrary information. Where are the sources of information that are actually reliable? Now we know that modernism, for example, has hit the church whole hog. I mean, we're just living in the middle of it. Well, that means that if you're going to try and understand the reality of what the church teaches, you have to go back first to the tradition. That is, to the to that time in which these things were adjudicated by the church prior to the modernism having their, I'm starting to influence even the magisterial members. Then from there, you can build forward and see which, what is in congruity and what isn't in congruity with what the church has always taught. And so that's, that's part of the methodology. The same, I think, is even true, even in relationship to dealing with the mainstream news media. Sometimes you're just going to have to go back and study things or take a look at things if you're going to try and figure out what's going on in a particular set of circumstances. A lot of times what I'll do, too, is like, for example, I always do this whenever there's a mass shooting in a school. As soon as people tell me about it, I'll say, I always tell people, yeah, I'm going to wait for about anywhere from two weeks to two months before I actually start taking a clear look at this. And the reason being is, is because of the fact that it's usually about that time that people who are doing the serious digging and taking a look at the reality will start bringing up information that was unavailable in the initial stages when that was happening. And then you, later you find out, okay, there's a whole different complexion to this situation. So, for example, we know that in many of the, in many of the cases of these school shootings of these teenagers, um, that, they, they re, that 80% of them were on psychotropic drugs. So I just tell people, I wonder if he was on psychotropic drugs. Then, like, three weeks later, yeah, he was on psychotropic drugs, right? Or they'll, the other thing that you'll find out is that a percentage of them, we're still trying to figure out that, are connected to people who are CIA or ex-CIA or FBI or ex-FBI. So they're connected to these things. And this isn't conspiracy. You can go and look it right up. It's, you'll find out that this guy's father used to work for the CIA. So like, there's some weird connection about that. Do we know what that means? No. Because ultimately, there's a certain amount of indication, okay, we're seeing this pattern, but we don't know what the pattern is fully revealing yet. So again, don't judge the thing by saying, oh, this is a CIA operation. Well, it could be. On the other hand, it might be the type of thing where there's some other pattern that we're not fully aware of. So don't judge the things, or try and think, trying to judge a thing when it doesn't admit of that degree of certitude. That's one of the clear things. But when it comes to the counter information, you have to be careful even with that. And that means you have to size it up for when you know they're actually true or not. Okay, yes? Keep in mind though that when something happens, oftentimes the most accurate part of the story is when it first comes out. Yes. Because the swamp has not had a chance to put a spin, put, put a spin on it or put the message out. That's right, yeah. So you'll get tidbits that come out and... 
Yeah, which is actually one of the, what I'll do is sometimes is I'll, that's what I'll tend to do is I'll take a quick look at it first and then I'll just sit on it for a while. And then over the course of time, the stuff in the beginning usually becomes confirmed later. Like, oh, no, actually it was this. It was this when we were told it wasn't, etc. So, yeah, that's really true. Okay. Any other questions or observations? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the effect of your own, you know, appetites and desires on what news media you want to look at. Yes. I'll give you some example, like, um, uh, well, one thing is, let's say you, you have a weakness for you want to make money, you know, in the stock market, you know. Right. So then you turn on a financial station, they'll tell you, you know, buy this because of that, that kind of thing. And right. So you want to make money, you end up buying it, and it goes down, right <laughs> down to it. Right. But one of the point is, is that um, I have this weakness. Yeah, I might have gone to get an MBA and know how to actually analyze a company, but you don't want to take the time. Your desires right. kind of take over. Right. You listen to this without kind of a, because that's what you want. Right. You listen to it, and then before you know it, you're off in the wrong direction. So. Um, yeah, I, it ultimately boils down to okay. So the the emotions or the appetites draw our yeah. judgment to excess or to defect. Right. But when we're judging, when we're, when we're in the process of making a judgment when that, uh, the image is being affected by what's in the imagination, a technical term for this is called precipitation. So what happens is, is that when that's happening, the information, unless the possible intellect from a prior set of habits, so if I've already studied this thing independently of that, and I've developed a proper set of habits in my judgment where I can judge the thing accurately, then when it comes up, and even if I have emotional response, my judgment from the habit inclination is going to look at the image and the imagination and say, no, that's not quite right, or that's too much. Mm -hmm. Right. If I don't have those set of habits yet, I don't have anything that's going to countermand my judgment, and so I'm likely to think that that thing is accurate that I'm, um, I'm experiencing. Or if I'm in the habit of judging it in the excess, when the excess occurs, I tend to judge as it's true. For example, the, the easiest way to see this is in relationship to anger, right? When somebody who's been needling us for long periods of time does something and it causes us to be angry and then we judge, well, you know, I'm just going to bite this person's head off because that is proportionate to actually what's going on here. Well, what's happening is, is my emotion of anger is causing my judgment to think that biting the person's head off is a proportionate thing because my proportions, my judgment of proportions all out of whack because of my emotion that it's looking at, right? And I don't, and if I've, if I've been in the habit of anger, I don't have any con, uh, contrary habit to make myself say, okay, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, I got to back off here. Okay. What happens is, uh, is, and this is one of the real dangers is that in the intellectual formation of children today, they're constantly putting the emotional stuff next to the truth. And so that way the person judges whether something's true based upon their emotional response and relationship to the thing. So what's ha and so and you even and we even have Catholics doing this or good people doing this in the sense that they, you know, they might have a real love or a real attachment to the church or to the uh, to the um, to the their country, what have you. And so when they hear things where somebody who they judge has been doing a lot of damage gets, you know, uh, shot or gets hauled off to jail or what have you, 
there's a, 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 an attitude of, yeah, finally justice is done. Well, we don't know that necessarily, right? It, I mean, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But the point being is, is that we tend to judge things to excess because we're in the habit of judging them to excess. And so when we're in the habit of judging them to excess, then our judgment of the truth is going to be in excess. And that actually creates, um, that intellectual habit creates a preferential bias. So when we go to judge, we tend to judge things are true because it fits my emotional response in relationship to these things. That's the danger. That's why the, the virtue is so absolutely key in getting the emotions under control and looking at something in a completely disimpassioned way is the only way we're going to proceed forward. But what are the people who are trying to do brainwash us? They're doing the exact opposite. They're constantly emotionally, as I've mentioned, ladling everything they say to us or feed us. They're, ladling, they're just burning in it with all this emotional nonsense. And, so, and the reason being is, is because they know that's how you affect people's judgment. And so this is one of the reasons why they have to be completely disimpassioned. And usually what that means is, is that if, we, if we've been judging things that way for a while, so for example, if we've seen, if, if people, because I'll, I'll just give you an example, you see among people, they'll look at the Democrats and say that the Democrats have been doing a lot of damage. And so they see the Republicans, at least on the face of it, trying to uh, contravene them. And so they get into the habit of thinking Republicans are okay and then Democrats aren't so okay. Republicans aren't perfect, but at least they're good. And they're, but over the course of time, when you start taking an objective look at the Republicans have done, like what George Bush did in the Patriot Act or what these other, they're not any different than the Democrats. The Democrats are a little bit more, uh, yeah, we're this way and we're in your face and you just got to live with it types. Whereas the Republicans are more like, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this under the guise of being patriotic while we're stripping everybody of their rights. Right? So uh, the point is, is it takes time sometimes for the person to intellectually begin to see the, the reality of it. But that means, that, again, the emotions can't be part of it, and you have to start looking at reality. And it's looking at that reality for a long period of time that starts to bring that judgment back into congruity with the reality of the situation. So, you know, the, the, right now, we're living in a system where it looks like that we have a choice between, a, you know, one party and another. Well, they're just the same party, just two different faces. And that's, that's a problem, right? I mean, they say, oh, well, it'd be bad if we had a one-party system. We have a one-party system. It just doesn't look like we have a one-party system. So, um, uh, and... That, okay, so that all being said, the real issue is reality. We have to get back to reality. So recognizing that truth is objective, trying to be as objective as it can. If you're being emotional, you put, put the thing on hold for a while until you go back to taking a look at it. So um, uh, it took me, there, there was, there's only been two books I've ever read that when reading the book, I got so angry I had to put the book down. <laughs> and one of them was um, called The Naked Communist by Skozen. And in there, I got so angry because there was stuff that was going on in relationship to the 40s and 50s and how the, the communists in the 40s were already sabotaging the military uh, activities in relationship to Russia, already in the 40s. And so, and then he starts recounting of how they sabotage things in Vietnam and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, at a certain, but that just told, so when I recognized that, I recognized, okay, I for me to take a more objective look at my country, the objective look of how God sees our country, because that's what we should really be trying to strive for, and how we look at this, I need to stand back and take a look at this thing dispassionately and recognize I have an attachment to this thing, and I need to detach from it 
I still try and do as much as I can for our country. That's not the issue. The issue is, is that I'm detached from it now so that I, it's, when it happens, I can like, well, oh, there it is, right? Um, in relationship to the church, it's the same thing. So, you know, uh, the, uh, it's, you know, we should love the church and promote the church. It's the bride of Christ, etc. It's the mystical body of Christ. But in the end, the thing that the, the church itself is ultimately a means to God. And so ultimately, the thing, I should say this, the state of the church is what people tend to have an attachment to. And so we have to have a detachment from the state of the church while still promoting its, its well-being. Because if we don't, what's going to happen is um, when bad things happen in the church, we're going to get it upset. It's going to start affecting our judgment, etc. And that's, that's a problem. Whereas uh, the attachment we should have is ultimately to God alone and then everything else in reference to that. That's it. So. That's the emotion that drives people out of the church. Exactly it. Up with, with the state of the church. Yeah, that's right. Guys, yeah, that attachment to it. He's obviously letting it decline for a specific reason. So, you know, he's, for example, in relationship to the fact that there's a lot of black clergy, well, St. John, you'd said the way he chastises people is through bad priests. Well, here we are. So, in that sense, the spiritual aspect of the chastisement is quasi begun. It's not, we're not fully there yet, obviously, but there it is. Uh, it depends on your state in life. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's some things that it's good to pass on to people and that you should pass on to people. You know, if you have clarity, how, how obligated are you to help people to find that clarity? Well, it depends on your state in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a, a nun in a contemplative con- uh, convent, well, you don't have a whole lot of obligation to help people outside in that regard. Mm-hmm. Except for maybe to pray for them so that they see the truth. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in a position of, of uh, respectability or have a public um, standing of some sort, then you would probably be more obligated to it. Of course, there's a whole set of principles that come into what you say and when you say it and how you say it. So there's that. Mm-hmm. How much should you discuss this stuff with people? Well, because of the fact that um, I talk about this in my conference on negativity, mm-hmm. where if you're constantly talking about all the stuff that's negative, it's just going to take you down. It doesn't mean that from time to time you don't talk to people who do have good clarity about these things. Mm-hmm. You should talk to them from time to time, but no more than is necessary. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because ultimately, uh, part, of the, part, of the di- part of what's happened is by them controlling the narrative, they've got us wasting enormous mm-hmm. amounts of time talking about the topics of their narrative. You know, rather than, you know, I should just read something about the church, about the faith, or about, you know, or study some aspect of philosophy or something. People just don't even think on those terms anymore because they're just sucked into all the news media. And so um, uh, the point point being is is that um, I think you should talk about it with people because you have to be reasonably knowledgeable about what's going on in the world. But you shouldn't pursue it much more than is necessary depending on your state in life. The other thing is, too, is in all of this, as you were talking, I also, you know, I kind of began to mention it, but I need to mention it more directly. We have to all admit that in varying degrees, we've all been brainwashed in various areas based upon the public, um, you know, how they've been framing things for the last 50 years in the public forum and all of this, you know, saying that this is an important issue and that's an important issue when you find out later it's not important in the slightest. So, um, and so I think that, uh, you know, and in the past, 
the church would kind of see this stuff, and it wouldn't say much until it began to realize, okay, we got to say something. But it didn't get sucked into always making commentary on every single thing that happened in a public forum. It never did that because it's its object that is proposing to us, namely God, and what the teachings about God, is above and beyond all this stuff, so they never got mired down in all this nonsense. So, uh, but now the fact that you have all these, the, the, you know, the bishops making statements about racism and the bishop, at which you can talk about the uh, the objective moral criteria, but the church has already made that clear, you know, that racism is immoral, you know, the uh, or the the fact that um, uh, you know there's a variety of different things. There's just a variety of different things that that, that keeps being proposed in the public forum. Like, you know, quite frankly. The church doesn't need, or the bishops don't need to get too involved. They do now because they let it go on. But if in the very beginning when gay marriage was starting to come up, if they would have just stood up, that's an abomination, a sin current to heads and for vengeance, let's put an end to the discussion and move on. If they would have done that, then we'd be fine. But now we've got this scenario where we've got gay marriage and this and that, and now we're talking civil unions and blah, 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 blah. Well, now the church is going to get sucked into talking about it because it didn't do it in the beginning. The point being is, is that our own mindset should be that we really need to be studying the things that are important and not spending all this time watching YouTube videos and all this other stuff about all the most recent current events and all the stuff that's going on. We should watch a certain amount of that, but no more nor less. That's why people will send me stuff that's like two, three hours long. Father, take a look at this. What do you think? I'm like, I don't have two or three hours of time to devote to that. So, and if I am, I'm going to you know, if I got two hours of free time, I'm going to go read St. Thomas or go read some saint or read some, you know, book on philosophy or theology. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, listen to some, some, you know, political hack tell me what I think I should, he thinks I should believe. So anyway, the point being is, is that uh, our focus has been distracted away from God. And that's, I think, the real danger. Well, it says it right in the scriptures, better to hope in God than in princes. Yeah, right. I mean, you can't, you, if people honestly believe that there's going to be a geopolitical or a political or what have you solution to our problem, they are just deluded. In fact, that's already a sign of a communist mindset. Because communism itself tells you that the solution to all our problems is government. And that's just completely false. The solution is God and God alone. So, and he's just letting us sink. And then he'll step in and say, see, I'm the only thing that can, uh, that can save your bacon. Yeah, okay, so the first is you, gotta get, you have to get the media aside. So objectively, you have to put that aside, and that means you have to start looking at reality. So basically, that just means engaging in things that actually deal with concrete reality. It also means studying, um, study, not curiosity, not looking at the straight, but actually study the books and study those things that are going to give me a better set of intellectual habits to be able to understand reality and understand these things. Um, and sometimes that can even mean include history, studying history, but even the history books, it's kind of funny because one of my friends, um, which everybody knows is Ryan Grant, and he, his, sometimes I'll ask him about some particular thing in history I know a little bit about, but then he starts telling me all this backstory, and you begin to realize that a lot of times what we've been told publicly is only just a small part of it, and, it, and if you actually know the full backstory, it changes how you understand the whole thing, right? So, um, but the point being is that I think, so it's, it's putting this stuff aside, doing serious study. I think the other thing is too is uh, not that I'm a not that I'm a big um, not that I'm a hippie kind of guy, 
But I think there has to be a certain amount of contact with nature and reality. You know, I think that one of the things that's, that our modern way of life is doing is it's disconnecting us from how we understand just physical things even work. So, for example, um, this was like 20 years ago. They polled kids in the inner city in New York and asked them where milk came from, and they thought it came from the same factory that made Coke. You know, so this is, I mean, that's the sign that we're, we're that disconnected, right? Um, or another one, I'm sure you saw this. This was actually entertainment. This, uh, this woman put in one of these personal ads during the hunting season and says, Hunters, why do you have to kill animals to get your meat? Why don't you just do what the rest of us do and go to the grocery store? You know, okay. So this is a sign that people are just completely disconnected from reality. And I think part of that is getting back into um, things that involve doing, using your hands and certain things. It doesn't have to be brutal manual labor. But there has to be a reconnection with, real, uh, with, real, um, with just a physical reality. But the main thing is um, the reality um, is if you're going to understand reality well, you have to have the proper, proper set of intellectual habits, and that's going to come through study. And so we have to study these things, um, study them first before we go and do that. Okay, yes. There's the, yeah, there's that, but it's also part of the building of the virtue. So as you build the virtue, your emotions will become under control. And so then you won't, you know, you won't be making these bad associations. Some of it is, too, is if you just realize that, you know, I, I, you know I've just misjudged, say, the Republican Party all my life. Well, then I got I to gotta basically go back and take, start disassociating all that stuff in my cogitative power and start taking a look at my memories and start looking at things a little bit differently. Yeah. Or, or even take a, a more extreme case of that. What would happen if, you know, you were a prisoner of war and they're literally doing physical brainwashing on you? Well, the principal thing that you have to do is try and maintain these habits that you know are true to the degree that you can, that formation that you had to the degree that it's true. The degree that you can. And so there was, it just simply becomes more an act of the will of looking at these things. And that actually brings up, I'm glad you asked that question, because it brings up another issue to this too, is, is that grace, actual grace enlightens the mind and strengthens the will. So you can ask for God's grace to give a better grasp of reality. Right? In fact, if you actually look at it, every, gra- every actual grace that you receive in your intellect gives you a better grasp of reality. Whether it's about yourself or about other things or other people, etc., it's ultimately about getting you more clued into reality. And sometimes it's even about God. So, but you can ask for the God, God to give you the grace to keep your, keep your perspective. But the other thing is, too, is, is, the, is when you're actually like, for example, when they would torture people physically, the emotional response is all, they, 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 it, depends on the, um, it depends on how proficient people are in the level of virtue. Because the more virtuous you are, the more likely, and it's not an absolute, but the more likely you are to be able to keep that formation, those habits in the intellect formed and alive, right, and focused. But otherwise, like if you're in a concentration camp, um, then what you have to do is you have to rely uh, a little bit more on God, but then the other thing is you have, to, you, have to keep, you have to keep your intellectual focus, and when they're telling you things or looking at things, there's two things you have to do is one is the stuff that you know is false you say no it's false internally not necessarily externally but internally the second component is, is the stuff that you don't know is whether it's false true or false you have to make the judgment of I don't know don't try and say it's not true or it's not false 
you have to just say, okay, in other words, you have to judge it to the degree of the reality of how well I know the thing, rather than trying to get certitude about something you're not going to get certitude about. So that would be one of the ways that it'd be done. No, that's absolutely true. People don't want to suffer. Yeah. They'd rather live in this alternate reality. It's the whole matrix. I mean, the matrix was a genius. Um, you know, it's Plato's allegory of the cave put to, to, put to a modern context. <clears throat> and uh, I, no, I think that's actually true. This is one of the reasons why we're in a bad way right now. Because I think we are to the point where if most people were offered the truth or offered a comfortable and, happy, and a life that they consider to be um, delightful, they would take it. Reality is actually beautiful if you know what you're looking at. And even when you're, the sunset and stuff like that is actually uh, a more pronounced aspect to it. <clears throat> but that's actually, it. if you get away from the news media and get away from these things and actually get back to reality and look at it, you have a perspective where, yeah, okay, we're about to get a good spanking. But God is still good. Reality is still good. Things are still good, you know. And so I think you'll tend to judge them less worse than they actually are. Um, on the other hand, uh, you can get people who will not actually look at the reality of human sin, though, either. You know, like the bishops. One of the fundamental problems I think we have with bishops is, is that they simply will not allow the discussion that there's a lot of people that are just downright evil. Oh, well, charity says you can't. Oh, shut up. It has nothing to do with charity. We can look at, we can look, the fact that, the fact that we have, um, you know, child trafficking going on, or female trafficking going on, or human trafficking going on, the fact that we have, um, you know, abortion and all this stuff. I'm sorry, there's just some evil people out there. So there has to be a recognition of that. But that can be um, counterbalanced with looking at, at the reality and seeing, no, things are still beautiful. God still does provide. <clears throat> and even when we go through the chastisement, as brutal as it is, even when he may let us cause our own chastisement on ourselves, which our lady said at Akita, the fact of the matter is he still moderates it. He's not going to let us wipe the entire species out. right? He's not going to let us suffer so much that, you know, that, it just is beyond every single human being's capacity to sustain. It's still going to be moderated to some degree or another. And whatever he does allow us to suffer is going to be something it's, which will help us to learn. And if we approach it properly, it will help us to be better. So he's never going to let it get beyond that. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't certain people who are so intellectually and emotionally and morally fragile that the minute they get a hangnail that they don't pass out and look, reach for the gun to blow their head out. I realize those are those, those are those kinds of people. As we go on, our culture is getting more and more of those. But to those who are trying to be faithful to him, this will turn out for our betterment in the end. Okay, well, if everyone will kneel, I'll give you a blessing. Benedictio Deo omnipotentis, Patris et Fili, et Spiritus et Supervos, et Semper.